Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. I'm Dr. Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 21st of May in 2018 and this is episode number 64. In this programme, Richard O'Sullivan, Assistant Curator at the London Irish Rifles Association, talks about the London Irish Battalions of the London Regiment during the Great War. I spoke to Richard from his home in winter. Hi Richard, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Can you start by telling us about how you became interested in the London Irish and the Great War in particular? Good morning Tom. My connection, direct connection with the London Irish Rifles is through my father who served in the Second World War uh, from 1939 to 46. So I picked up a connection in the last 10 years with him. My interest in the First World War of the London Irish really came out of further research and my support to the Museum of the London Irish Rifles Association. And through that work, volunteer work over the last few years, I certainly understood a little bit more about the London Irish's role in the First World War. Um, my family's connection had a, my grandfather, one grandfather served with the Canadian Expeditionary Force from 1914 to 1919. And my other grandfather was on the Great Western Railway in London. So he supported on the home front, the supplies and the the men travelling to the Western Front. So can you begin by giving us the origins of of what became the London Irish and and where exactly did they come from and and who were they? They were created in December 1859 when uh, there was a period of volunteer movements in the United in England and Great Britain. And uh, they came out of that scene. There was quite a number of rifle volunteer corps were created in London Scottish in the same year. There was some concern that there may be further hostilities with France at that stage. The, The regiment itself initially was really the first members were Irishmen or men from Ireland who were born in Ireland or men with property and connections in Ireland. So it was a London-based unit and uh, in 1860 they got status. Uh, There were some interesting comments when they they were created to defend Britain but they they certainly joined up uh, to fight. So in 1862, quite soon after the creation of the regiment, when the concerns died with France, the role went down quite rapidly and there was some concern that the, actually the corps, the regiment, would actually be disbanded in 1860s. But obviously it continued to the current day. So they, they were formed under sort of, the, sort of the volunteer movement, obviously, in the 18, 18, late 1850s and they continued all, obviously all the way through to the First World War. What type of man joined the London Irish, obviously from its creation to the Great War? The Constitution said, organised under the title of the London Irish Volunteers, a qualification of membership in a connection with Ireland by birth, marriage or property, and the court shall consist of effective and honorary members. Included in its first membership role, there were seven marquises, nine earls, four viscounts, seven lords, eight MPs, not all of whom were effective, but that was to give you the sense of the initial cadre of members. Moving through the, eight, uh, the end of the 19th century, it was very much, you might read into it, it was a gentleman's club at the officer level anyway, shooting. Duke of Connaught became its uh, honorary colonel in 1871, one of the sons of Queen Victoria, and he remained honorary colonel until 1942. In terms of its connection with Ireland directly, yes, indeed, many members um, were Irish-born. But when we moved into the 20th century um, and, and into the First World War period, everyone had a London address so it's quite often difficult to ascertain where people were born in Ireland or, or had the Irish connection 
through their fathers or grandfathers. Um, the first bit of fighting, you might say, for London Irish was during the Boer War when about 200 men went to South Africa and joined the um, City of London Imperial Volunteers or served in, in a service battalion with the Royal Irish Rifles. So they started to become serious, you might say, around that organised fighting way. And, and as with everyone else in 1908, in March, the creation of the Territorial Force focused the mind on what they really were doing. And at that point, they became the 18th Battalion of the London Regiment. So moving into the period up to the First World War, they were certainly um, now more organised. At the outbreak of war in, in August 1914, they were at camp and were called back to Chelsea for the, um, the mobilisation. At that stage, there was about 600 effectives. Whereabouts were they located in London? Obviously, they were in part of the um, auxiliary home defence force, uh, which was the volunteers, then the territorial force. But what part of London were they located in during their volunteer days? Most of the orderly rooms were in the West End, in the Strand, in that area, sort of the 1870s, 1880s. Uh, they had uh, rifle ranges at Woolwich and in Hampstead Heath at various times. So they were all central London. The, the Irish connection allowed them to bring people from all around London, I suppose. They were non-geographical specific in their recruitment. And it was early in the 20th century, when, just after the creation of the Territorial Force, that they actually moved to the Duke of York's headquarters near Sloane Square. So they became a West London-based outfit from 1910 onwards for the next 90 years, in fact. So what sort of man did they recruit before the war? I'm sort of thinking sort of what sort of occupational groups they came from and whether they were sort of middle class or working class. Obviously, the London Regiment was incredibly diverse in, in the range of men it recruited into the various battalions. It's hard to say. We, we are starting to do some really detailed analysis of the men who were on the roll in 1914. But you might say at the end of the 19th century, we've looked at some of the officer cadre and understood Understandably, quite a number of lawyers of that nature, you know, high-level professionals. The, it's hard to understand really properly what the uh, the riflemen, the privates were, and what class. But I think they may well have been some working people, you might say. That being said, my own great-grandparent were living in London and they were Irish born and they didn't join the London Irish Rifles and I don't think they would have even thought of it. They joined a 12th Regiment of Foot, for example. So I don't know whether the group of people in the London Irish Rifles at the end of the 19th century into the early 20th century were very much working people. But I think that did change in the 20th century, early in the 20th century. And it's certainly true when we know of the memories of men in served in the First World War. Quite a number were from various working class areas and, and, and had worked work in trades. So I might say that you'd interpret change may have occurred once the territorial force was created. Some of the strictures of membership became less after 1908. Initially more strict, but then were, were reduced in scale. So I think it allowed a greater number of people from other walks of life than the professional classes to join in the early 20th century. Now, when we look at the London Irish, one of the questions I've always wondered is how Irish were they? And, and what sort of traditions did they come from? Obviously, Ireland in the early... 20th century was, was very divided between the Home Rule nationalist community and obviously the Ulster loyalists who were opposing Home Rule and they had very, very different sort of religious and political and ethnic backgrounds. So how was that reflected in the London Irish? I don't think actually it affected them as much as you, you might think. Uh, it was very much in this period and beyond a London-based outfit in the first instance, very much London-focused, even though 
as we say, we believe quite a number of Irish-born were in the membership. But very much, as, as my family found over, over the history, once you come to London, you get conditioned as Londoners. And your first outlook would be a London-based. Without losing your Irish thoughts and your Irish connections and your ancestry, I believe that the outfit wasn't as prejudiced in its outlook. It was non-Protestant, non-Catholic. It was London-based. What happened in 1914, um, once obviously war was declared, and there was this, this the so-called mad rush to the colours, what happened to the London Irish then? As I mentioned, I think the uh, complement of stu- uh, members was about 600, just over 600, when they went to camp in August 1914. But very quickly, they got up to strength. Everyone signed on. A second battalion was created almost immediately at the end of August into early September. Another thousand members joined them. Initially training would go on and they would then fill some of the ranks of the first battalion and, and the flow of people who were not up to the highest uh, physical standards. So there was uh, involvement of the two battalions. And then the third reserve battalion was created in 1915. So there was certainly uh, an influx of new members in that early period. Uh, it may not be to the scale you might imagine it as the Powells you know, in the counties. But uh, I think London, of course, was the biggest city. So you would expect a lot of people joining up. So it raised three battalions, um, two combat battalions, the 1st 18th and 2nd 18th. And then the third, the reserve battalion, which became the 3rd 18th. I know it gets really complex in terms of numbering of, of London Regiment units. So essentially you have three battalions by early 1915. Now what, what happens to the first 18th Battalion, which was obviously the original volunteer battalion? Well, it spent that first period, 1914 autumn into the spring, early spring of 1915, in St Albans and, and then a training period there. And as I say, some of the members moved out as they weren't meeting the standards of physicality and the second would bring people to them. But on March the 9th, as with the rest of the 47th London Division, they went over to France from Southampton to La Havre. And uh, the intention, I think, initially was to go towards the Belgium area, to the salient. But actually, they were diverted slightly to the south when they arrived in France, towards the northern front, France front near Givenchy and Vestubert. So what, what battles did the 1st 18th engage in during their time in France? They followed the route of the 47th London Division throughout their time up to 1918, November 1918. So their first service in the front line, as I mentioned, was near Festubert in May of 1915. They then moved slightly to the south in the late summer in August towards Losong-Gahel area. And the first great push, as described historically, started there in September 1915 and the first day of the Battle of Luz on the 25th of September 1915. So the 1st 18th, the 1st Battalion, joined the first attacks on the morning of 25th of September 1915 with the 141st Brigade of the 47th London Division. The first day of the Battle of Luz and the period after that is the first battle honour, or the most famous battle honour for the London Irish Rifles in its history. The famous story of the four London Irishmen who kicked the football over into the German trenches, the footballers of Luz. But it wasn't just that event. They, they, they formed part of a major defence of the advance into the town of Luz in a few days after the 25th of September. They spent the next few months in that area, including a very difficult time in December at the Christmas time of 1915 at the Hohenzollern Redoubt area, just to the north. In 1916, they spent a short period moving south towards the Vimy area, and actually that's when the 2nd Battalion joined them for a short period in the, in the same area. They were involved on the 1st 
day of the Battle of High Wood in, in September of 1916. The battle, as we know, started the high, uh, Battle of the Somme on the 1st of July of 1916. At that stage, the London Irish, the 1st Battalion, were uh, further to the north at Vimy, but they moved down in August with the expectation of further attacks. In September of 1916, they did join the 1st attack in that period on high wood and it was the first use of tanks as we know and four tanks were allocated with 47th london division and with very much difficult first day there on the 15th of september but they did the 47th division take a large part of the wood and, and actually move northwards from there and it was in some ways a success that first day of their own battle the 15th of september the 47th Division over the succeeding days did lose a lot of men. The Surrey Rifles being particularly a case that lost so many on, on, in that period. So tell me about what the 1st 18th did in 1917 and 1918 with the 47th Division. They continued their service in France until they moved later in the autumn of 1916 to the salient. And they spent 10 months there with the 47th Division. They, they were present on, uh, on certain days, the 7th of June of 1917 at Messines and also the Third Battle of Ypres in August, and that started for late July of 1970. But the, the London Irish themselves weren't directly over the top in those periods. They did, of course, lose many men and so many casualties. But you might say they avoided the worst of both of those periods. In the late autumn of 1917, they then moved south to the Cambrai area and they joined the defence at the end of November 17 and into the early part of December at Borland Wood, the famous occasions there, a very difficult time. They stayed in France after December and, and uh, were resting for a period and they then faced the onslaught in March of 1918, the German onslaught the 20, that started on the 21st of March. And they took part in serious defensive actions in that period. So they were facing a number of difficult periods in late 1917 and 1918, as the rest of the army were. They then would get through the period of rest up to the time of August, when they joined the last 100-day period of the First World War, as described, and moved through Albert and other places in August and September, and actually finished their war the London Irish's war in November at near Tournai. So how many men did the 1st to 18th lose? Or what, oh, sorry, what was the scale of casualties to the 1st to 18th during the Great War? In terms of the 1st Battalion, around 850 were killed. And the, the estimate was that they, they suffered over 3,000 casualties and 300 were captured. So when you think of a battalion of a thousand approximately a thousand and you can see the scale of casualties during this period not exceptional and you might say not at the highest end of, of casualties during the wartime but certainly a, a significant deficit for the for, for the regiment now we're going to look at the second 18th which was obviously raised in late 1914 now the second line territorial units are often not not looked at at all and and their subsequent um, actions um, often not on the western front are often neglected so tell us the story of the second 18th and what they did during the, the Great War. As we mentioned at the start, the second of 18th was created in, in September of 1914. And I guess at that period, it, the assessment was the second line wouldn't necessarily be 
the units would go overseas. It would, would be a reinforcement cadre. But in fact, quickly, the requirement was there. Although the second 18th did stay in the UK until six, 1916, until June 1916, when they moved up over in June to France. So they spent about four months in 1916 in the Vimy area. And as I mentioned earlier, they were quite close to the first 18th, the first battalion during this period at Vimy. As with the, they, they were part of the 60th London Division. And in November, late November of 1916, they got the order to go to Salonika. Initially, they weren't sure where they were going, but they did go to Greece and landed there right at the end of November 16, with the rest of the 60th London Division. As with the 1st Battalion, in some respects, they, they, they avoided some of the worst excesses of the Salonika campaign. They did stay in Greece for six months until June of 1917. But other units of the 60th London Division, the other London regiments, did suffer markedly in some parts of the battle period there. Quite a lot it was trench warfare in the mountains, so it was a difficult period um, for everyone. But the London Irish, the 2nd 18th, did avoid. And there was comment, actually, they got through quite a long period without facing a major battle. They were one of the few units in the whole of the British Army that got to this 1917 period without uh, fighting a major battle. In, in June of 1917, the 60th London Division with the London Irish to 18th, moved across to Palestine. In fact, they went to Egypt first. And then in, in the um, October period, October 1917, they joined the Egyptian expeditionary force uh, under Allenby. They moved northwards through Palestine in the advance towards Jerusalem. So the 2nd Battalion, the 2nd 18th, continued with the advance into Palestine and were involved in a number of battle periods there at Nebi Samuel. And the few days before the capture of Jerusalem, uh, they were involved in very vigorous fighting at the heart and livery doubts, which was overlooking the northern part of Jerusalem. So they had a quite a difficult period there. Obviously, the, Jerusalem was captured. The major issues for the battalion in terms of casualty did emerge soon after. On the 23rd of December 1917, just north of Jerusalem, the second 18th did actually suffer major casualties. They ran into a Turkish outpost. In fact, it was a, a, a regiment that had come into the line, and they suffered 54 single deaths on, on that day, on the 23rd of December 1917, at Kerbet Adesay. This was a major problem for the, for the battalion. The 60th London stayed in that area, north of Jerusalem, into the spring, and then in March, uh, the army again decided to move across the Jordan River. And this is at this period that the 2nd 18th were involved in two campaigns, you might say, even though in the similar area of crossing the, the Jordan River towards Amman. At the end of March of 1918, they were part of an expedition into Transjordan towards Amman. And then again in May of 1918. And on both occasions, the advance was repulsed. Um, so it wasn't totally successful, even though later in the year it did lead to, to further advances and the final capitulation of, of the Turkish forces in this area. It was following the May events, May 18 events, that the messages came down from high that there would be a total reorganisation of the, the Palestinian armies. And that's where the 2nd 18th was earmarked to be disbanded. 
Some of the units of the 60th London Division were sent back to the Western Front, as we mentioned, the advances of Germans in March of April 18 necessitated further requirements. And also uh, the, the policy of Indianization of quite a few of the divisions, the Irish Division, of course, the 10th Irish Division is very similarly affected, and the, the 60th London Division. Richard, could you explain what Indianization is? Someone better than me would probably explain it better. But in terms of the 60th London Division, at that stage, the division had three brigades. Each brigade had three infantry battalions. So it changed from four infantry, infantry battalions previously. But in early 1918, there were, there were nine infantry battalions. And up to the time of the crossing of uh, the Jordan in May of 1918, all of them were London regiment battalions. But soon after, as I say, the Indianization process, in actual fact, after July, only three London-based regiments were in the London Division in Palestine. And six of them were new units that joined from different parts of the Indian Army. And the London Irish Rifles 2nd Battalion was actually disbanded in July of 1918. What was the scale of casualties for the 2nd 18th compared, obviously, to the 1st 18th? The regiment overall, the London Irish Rifles overall, suffered just over a 1,000 deaths. As I mentioned, 850 roughly of the 1st Battalion, about 150 for the 2nd. So it probably mirrors the fact they didn't fight a major battle until the end of 1917. Is there anything on the 3rd 18th, which was the Reserve Battalion, formed in 1915? Only that we know they were based during 1916 in Mournhill and Winchester. It's very much a, a training and reinforcement group. Uh, we know about Mournhill, it's mentioned a few times, and, and London Division 3rd Line battalions were there during 1916. We know some men, specific men, were being trained in Mournhill and in Winchester. So that I don't know much more than that, really. We have got some photographs, but um, they, they stayed at home in the United Kingdom. So is there any research ongoing into the uh, battalions in the First World War that you're currently doing with the association? We are a volunteer organisation in the museum, so we, we're not professional in that respect. We have groups of historians at various times come to see us, and there are a couple of projects underway. One, for example, a, a, a historian based in Northern Ireland is looking into the detail of men who served in 1914 at the outbreak of war. And it, we have got some historic artefacts at the museum, including the original Lewes football and an original painting of the footballers of Lewes painted by Lady Elizabeth Butler. So there are the research in certain other areas that go on uh, about the history of the regiment. And if people want to come and visit the museum and find out more about the reg regiment, can they do that? They can, although the museum is in a closed MOD site in Camberwell now. We moved from the Duke of York's in the year 2000. So it's in South London now, but it is a closed MOD site. The easiest way, I suppose, to go to see the museum is to attend one of the parade days, which is St. Patrick's Day, uh, Remembrance Sunday and Lou Sunday. So in March, September and November of every year. These parades are held on Sunday morning. Richard, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman, 
and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>